Okay. Last week I had planned to talk to you a little bit about this whole thing that went on in Baltimore. I was in Washington that weekend that all that stuff was going on in Baltimore and talking to guys who were on the ground there and whatever. And, of course, all of us are aware of that and Ferguson and all the other stuff. And so just uh, trying to process that and saying, okay, what what is really going on in society when uh, that kind of outburst of frustration and anger and violence and you got kids running through the streets burning businesses and cars and uh, and then you got politicians trying to spin it in their own favor uh, and, and so trying to ascribe blame you know who, who's at fault society's at fault family at fault church at fault government at fault poverty at fault what you know what's the deal so just in light of that whole thing I was reading back through Proverbs. Proverbs, uh, as you know, is a part of the wisdom literature of the Bible. <clears throat> Several genres of scripture. There's uh, history, which we have in the first part of the Bible. There's uh, wisdom, the prof- prophetic genre, which is uh, usually God speaking to his covenant people, telling them what's going to happen because a broken covenant or what will happen if they do break covenant. Uh, So there's that whole genre of scripture that uses a lot of uh, cosmic language to convey covenant thought. You know, a prophet's just liable to say, tell you what's going to happen here. The sun's going to fall out of its socket and the Stars are going to fall out of the sky and the earth is going to explode and whatever. He's using this cosmic language to describe the impact that's going to happen when when God's judgment does come on his people. And, and so those things don't didn't literally happen, but they, they happen with the same kind of impact. But when you come to wisdom literature, uh, wisdom literature kind of became important around the time of Solomon around a thousand BC David had kind of reached the zenith of Israel's history as king they had conquered the land that would have been promised to them David had led Israel to its highest point then after David comes Solomon and Solomon is known for his wisdom. You know the story of Solomon asking God for a hearing ear so that he could judge properly. And that, by the way, that still is the best definition of wisdom. It's not an accumulation of fact. It's the ability to hear at any given moment from God's perspective. So uh, wisdom literature kind of grew up associated with Solomon, David, in that period of history. And and so what it is is a collection of maxims that wise people have noticed as they observe life operate, as they are 
as they fear God, that is, they live in the awe of God, recognizing that there is a creator and that as creator, he, he is the owner and that as creator, he is created with order and that if you will do it by his order, things work better. That's kind of a common way of saying it. And so uh, wisdom literature is the collection of those maxims that wise people have noticed and said, this works, this doesn't work. It is uh, the result of people who took seriously God's statement to Noah or the, in the days of Noah when he said, from this time on, some chairs over here, guys. Uh, you know, after the flood, God said, from this time on, I won't, I won't do this again. I won't destroy the earth with water. But from this time on, life will live by these principles on earth. As long as earth exists, there will be springtime and harvest, dark and night. There will be these principles that work. So those people who had taken seriously that truth... Uh, began to notice that, yeah, it works when you do it God's way, if you, if you live by the principles. So uh, so that's kind of the background of Proverbs. And uh, Solomon probably is the one who collected them. He wrote many of them, but uh, those he didn't write, he collected from other wise people. Uh, you know, since I'm on the context thing for a moment here, the difference in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, which was probably written by Solomon also, is that Proverbs is written from the point of view that this is God's perspective. This is looking at things the way you should look at them. This is God's uh, revelation of this stuff. Ecclesiastes is this is what life looks like when you don't look at it from God's perspective, but you only look at it from man's perspective. So the key phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes is under the sun. I, I watched all this stuff under the sun and I concluded that everything's vanity and nothing really works. and uh, It doesn't satisfy. It overpromises and underproduces. You know, I tried women, wisdom, wine, wealth. I tried all that and Bottom line is that it ain't all it's cracked up to be. So that's that's Ecclesiastes. Proverbs, on the other hand, is God saying uh, is, is Paul what's his name Solomon saying uh, when you look at life from God's perspective, taking into consideration his uh, his order, then these are some conclusions. These are transcendent principles that you can live by. So. Uh, with all that as a background, let's, let's look here in Proverbs 1. Uh, one more thing in contextualizing. He writes Proverbs from the framework of a father talking to his son. And so it's my son, if you'll listen to my voice and you pay attention then life will go better. And of course, uh, in the natural realm, that's true. He's, he's writing as a father would talk to his son. But in the ultimate, it says God the Father is talking to his children. 
So you have two levels of it here. And as he, uh, he addresses the societal things that's going on, I think you can see what we're talking about. All right, Proverbs 1.8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let's lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them up. Let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We, we will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood, so they set in an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who's greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Okay, hold your finger there. Basically what he's saying is, there is a there is some people out there, there are gangs out there, there's a neighborhood out there that are not living by the order of God's creation and they have all kind of issues and if you don't pay attention to a father's wisdom, you'll be very vulnerable to them and they will be uh, appealing to your greed for getting gain, your adventure, your sense of victimization, everything out there, there there's some someone out there who can offer you something for every weakness in your life. And if you're not listening to the wisdom of a father, of a father's community, you will fall prey to it. I was just reading yesterday this whole thing at Waco, this, this biker thing. You know, and just trying to, to, to look at, at the biker mentality, uh, you know. and uh, so, so how do all those guys wind up together? Call themselves the one percenters. They're the one percent that doesn't go along with all this government stuff and authority and order and all that. We're, we're they're their own they're their own law and, and they have divided up the nation and the state into their own possessions. That's why they were fighting because somebody's trying to take over their deal. So how does a kid or grown man get caught up in that? You know, that's what he's talking about here. Hmm? Is that a question for everybody to answer? Is that a rhetorical? No, no, that's a rhetorical. I'm just trying to trying to set the tone here. Verse 20, wisdom cries aloud in the street in the marketplace as she raises her voice. At the head of a noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How how long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I'll make my words known to you. Uh, Just for the sake of time, let's skip over to chapter 2 here for a little bit. My 
My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of the saints. Then you will understand righteousness and judgment and equity in every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you delivering you from the way of evil. Now, interestingly, he picks two evils that wisdom will protect you from. And I think that's really interesting. First of all, verse 12, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So the first thing that wisdom will protect you from, if you pay attention to it, is reckless peers. Secondly, verse 16, so you will be delivered from the strange or forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her death and her past to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of lives. And so he goes on. And if you read more, more Proverbs, you'll see these are, the two, these are the two culprits out there. The, the wicked men are the reckless peers, are the, those who are enticing you to throw your lot in with them to get rich quick, to have adventure, take advantage of the poor, all that kind of stuff. Wicked men. So you got wicked men and strange women. And so, so the, uh, the big discussion for Solomon to every young man or young woman is, if you don't get wisdom, understanding from God, those two things will trip you up. Anybody in here want to disagree with him? And yet in our society, we've almost, uh, we've come to the place where if a boy is not involved in illicit sex, he's considered strange. We make movies on how weird it is for a guy to be a virgin. Uh, and yet Proverbs talks about how detrimental that is to the soul and but before then, he talks about being uh, being enticed by your reckless peers. And so, I just wanted to think about this a little bit this morning. Wisdom is one of the expressions of God's love. It's God saying, I love you so much, I want you to experience the very best of life. And so, I want to show you how I've done it, how I've created it. And I want you, if you will follow it, follow this wisdom, follow my instruction, then life will work for you and you can flourish, enjoy me, enjoy what I've made, and enjoy life. 
So, so wisdom is God's love expressed in a very practical way in life. But uh, so in God's wisdom, in God's love, he created a neighborhood that was the safest neighborhood to get young people started. It's called family. Because in your vulnerable state, you need somebody looking over you who cares the most for you. So who would care most for a youngster? A father and a mother. That's why fathers and mothers are important. They have no other interest, no vested interest, no higher interest than the child's benefit. The problem with letting the government raise your kids is that government has a higher interest, its own existence. And um, the problem, as we know, is when this first neighborhood does not do its job, when it's not there and it's not available, then the next neighborhood is cruel. Because the neighborhood of peers is made up of orphanic men and women trying to survive, and the only thing they know to do is to push others down to make themselves higher, to get what others have so they will have. So they are fighting for what sons have already been given. And so those who do not pay attention to or don't have the opportunity to have a father-mother influence in their life are vulnerable to the most cruel people in the world. And, and they don't even know they're being cruel. So getting back, why we got gangs, why we got this motorcycle gang of grown men riding around on crotch rockets uh, trying to run the world. Well, when you're an orphan and you have no place at home and you don't understand the fear of God, then you are all about your turf, your superiority, whatever, and authority has no place in your life. So... uh, One of the one of the damaging things in our culture, on any culture that bases its value on marketing, let me say it another way: when your values are determined by the de- desires or polling the people of your uh, of the public. And you let that determine what you want. In other words, pure democracy. You don't wind up with God's wisdom. And an interesting thing in our society is we're so youth-oriented that we poll the youth and we find out what does the youth want, what does the younger generation want. Well, they hadn't been here long enough to know what they want. Uh, the value of wisdom is that you have people who have lived 
long enough to make a, a few mistakes or a lot of mistakes and to see what, what works and doesn't work. Now, sometimes they come to the wrong conclusion, but, but when you say because you want to be elected or because you want to be popular or you want to fill up your church with people or you want to get people to come to your ice cream parlor or whatever, you go to the youth and go, what do you want? That is our value. Then you, then you have totally gone contrary to God's setup because his setup was let the wise people, the older parents, grandparents, uncle, let the wise people teach the young people. We're doing it totally different. Let the young people teach us. What do you want? And so I was dealing with a family the other day. Father and mother call me. They're both on the phone. They're at each other's throats, father and mother. Because they've got a 17-year-old daughter. Well, it's the, it's the wife's daughter and stepdaughter to the, to the man. <clears throat> and whether or not to let her come live with them, because the only way she'll agree to come and live with them is if there are no boundaries. And the mother is saying, if, if we don't, she'll be on the street. The father's saying, we cannot have a house where there are no boundaries. So they're at each other's throats. So, so think about that for a minute now. So, so we're going we're gonna to do whatever. I, I, I'm not taking sides here on the father and mother. I'm just saying, here is a 17-year-old girl's philosophy of life. I want no boundaries. If you give her no boundaries, she'll be mad with you for the insecurity she feels. Because if you have no boundaries, there's no security. She's homeless now. Yeah, she's already homeless. She has no, no protection, no boundaries, no protection, no sense that I'm valuable. It, it, it has the same effect on you if you drop somebody in the middle of the ocean and say, you're absolutely free to swim in any direction you want. All your options are open. Well, you think you want that. I mean, if mom and dad are saying, be home by midnight, you got to clean your room, you know, you got to get a job. I don't want that. I want to be dropped in the ocean with all my options. Okay. So, so what I'm saying is as long as we are adopting that mentality, we are creating frustration in our own kids. And it, it may be poverty. That's a part of it. Poverty certainly is, is not a helpful thing, but even in rich neighborhoods, you can have the same kind of frustration you had in Baltimore if the kids have had no wisdom from God and they have no genuine boundaries that show them that they're important and whatever. So, uh, you know, I know I'm describing the problem more than the, the, the answer, but uh, it is interesting that the Bible is fairly relevant here and that uh, it would tell us what to do if we paid attention. Uh, so, uh, so, so the whole idea of, well, let's just throw the concept of marriage out the window and family out the window and let's just you know, do it another way okay, you can do that. But the, the second you do that, the second you're choosing against the wisdom of God, 
and you're choosing for the destruction of your own children and your own society. And the solution, the ultimate solution, cannot be an impersonal force, government or whatever, to come in and take over because the government has, it's an impersonal entity. There's no relationship. There's no nurturing. And so you have, uh, have the state raising the stuff. So, uh, so, so what are we supposed to do? We, we men sitting here in, the, in this room on the day, what can we do? Well, one of the things that has gotten confused, confusing for all of us as we've tried to be relevant to the society and yet still be Christian and believe in the Bible and whatever, is we have let the concept of effective authority get mess, messed up. Uh, if you're wise, you know that if, if you don't respond to a lesser authority, you'll be broken by another authority. There's no such thing as, as living without authority. As long as God's still alive. Because he's the ultimate authority. And we've all laughed at kids who said, I do not want to do what my parents tell me to do, so I'm going to join the Marines. <laughs> I mean, I know a bunch of guys who've done that. Like, I do not like this restricted life, so I'm going to do what I want to do. My parents don't want me to do so I'm joining the Marines. <laughs> okay. And for many, it turned out pretty good because I got in there and didn't have any option but to submit to authority. <laughs> they might could have learned a little, little easier. But... Uh, Here's a, a messed up deal of, of authority in our, our culture. An authority can only be legitimate to the level that it accepts responsibility. Authority and responsibility go exactly to the same boundaries. You have no authority where you have no responsibility. But where you do have responsibility, you do have authority. That's the good news. Amen. And so many of us, I think, have been guilty of not believing that last part. We do not believe we have authority where we've been given responsibility. Men, you've been given responsibility for your thoughts. Therefore, you have authority. You're not a victim. You have authority. And when you, in the fear of God, as that is, as you're trusting God, you take, you own up and say, okay, God, I own the responsibility for my thoughts. Instead of saying, well, it's the world's fault, you know, they've got too much pornography on TV and, 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 and all, everything's coming in and messing me up. You have authority over your thoughts, God given. If you own that, God's grace will give you the ability to do it. 
you have authority, you have responsibility for your actions. What you have responsibility for, you have authority for. See, one of the things that kids who don't have a relationship with a father, one of the things they grow up not getting is this. My choices create my consequences. I mean, I've told you about, I've told you illustrations, and all of you know them. You've done them, some of them yourself. But I remember one kid's like, Hey, it's pick on me all the time. So who's picking on you? Police pick on me. So you know, the police pick on you. Yep. Just got pulled over the other night. Why'd they pick on me? There's a thousand people on the road. Why'd they pull me over? I said, why did they say? And they said, because I didn't have a license plate on the car. <laughs> They're supposed to pull you over. Well, and then they got me because they didn't my, my my driver's license wasn't up to date. It's like, they're supposed to do that. You have responsibility to put a license plate on your car and to have a, a legitimate license. That's your responsibility. They didn't pick on you. You had choices that have consequences. But if you don't accept that, then you become a victim. You're a victim of life. Somebody's picking on me. Well, what, what if we could, what if we could do just through life, train each other, train our kids, our sons to believe that, okay, if I make a choice, I have a consequence, I own the consequence. I think I told you about my little episode the other day with my grandson, my five-year-old. He and I were talking about lying and telling the truth and stuff. And right in the middle of our discussion, he lied to me. And... Uh, so, you know, I'm going to use it as a teaching moment, and I take all this time to tell him about trust and all that kind of stuff. And <laughs> all this time I thought I had gotten through. So I said, so what have you learned about lying? He said, it'll get you in trouble. <laughs> that's, all he, that's all he got. That's a pretty good start. Yeah, well, it's true, but he didn't understand the dynamics, I don't think. But, but I kept trying to say to him, Sam, I don't care what you do. I don't care how big a trouble you are in. The moment you tell the truth, I'm on your side. And we'll work it out. We'll find a solution. But until you tell the truth, nobody's on your side. Well, what am I saying to him? I'm saying... You have responsibility and the authority over what you have responsibility for. You own it. If you own it, you have authority. God will give you authority. Uh, so, uh, but the point I wanted to make to all of us today is that we can fuss at our kids at the, at the generation of irresponsible youth. The problem is they're picking it up from us a great deal. What, uh, what do you have responsibility for? Well, I'm telling you, you have God-given authority over it. Your family? That doesn't mean you can make everybody in the family do what you want them to do. It means that you can protect your family from the serpent coming in and lying to your family like you did to Eve. You have authority over the powers of hell for your family in prayer.
if you'll accept it and say, okay, as a son of God, I have that authority and I will use it. Uh, and you have authority to tell your family the truth. You can't make them believe it. You can't make them do it, but you have, you have that authority. Well, uh, what about what about your work and whatever? Well, if, if you're working somewhere and God's giving you authority, you have spiritual authority there. Take, take authority over it. I, I would hate to know I had to get involved in the marketplace today with all the convoluted, perverted ethics in the business world and, and not know that I was in a spiritual warfare and know that I had authority over it. So if, if, you, you know, if you're trying to just do it on the basis of, of your own understanding, you're not going to make it very well. So uh, Okay, last week I, I closed with, with, with uh, saying this, and I, I'm going to stop there and then we'll let you all shoot at what we're talking about. Uh, two things that seem to characterize uh, the immature. We grumble and we're ungrateful. We complain about what we do or don't have or the way things are. And the other thing is we're ungrateful. We, we have an entitlement mentality. And so I, I love this piece that I read by a counselor who, who said one good thing to do in training your kids is to create this language your response when asked to do something whether you like it or not is okay and when, and when anything happens your response is thank you See, if, if you believe in the providence of a good God and that we are, he is watching over us, then even when I am put in difficult circumstances or I'm asked to do something I don't understand or seem to be difficult, if I believe that God is in charge of that, then my response is, okay, I'm trusting you. You would not ask me to do that if you didn't have the resources for me, so I'll do it. So to get our kids to, to do that with us. Uh, and then the second one is, the, as you know, we've we got a problem with being jaded in our society. We've got so much that to train your kids to say thank you instead of I want more. You know, I've been to Six Flags five times this week. I want more. Well, where are you going to go after you've been to Six Flags? Uh, but say thank you to, to, to rid ourselves of the uh, entitlement. And again, we can talk to it about on the child level, but they're learning it from somewhere, and they may be learning it from us. So I'd say for us to watch, just watch your, your own attitude. Are you grumbling? And do you feel a sense of entitlement? If so, might be time to just back off and say what? What is the wisdom of God here? Okay, I'll stop there and let y'all shoot it, ask questions.
Why do you think Solomon built his whole wisdom structure around avoiding those two things? The reckless peers and the strange women. Why are those so important? And you guys like it. I mean, I see it. I mean, I, I see through my son and my grandson. Now he has sons, and they have to be tough. They have to push him around and teach him to, to wrestle with fight instead of being love and kindness. I can hear that think from my from my perspective. Uh, it's a generational. Dad and his dad hardly spoke when they were around each other because my grandfather had been raised by a man who had fought in the Civil War, had six boys. He walked from Texas back to Wisconsin, hitchhiked as best he could on Ladies Hook, but they said when he hit Louisiana, he was one of the meanest men that ever came into Louisiana. So his son was harsh and tough. Thus my grand my dad was. I can I can say from my perspective it was a generational thing. My dad never showed any things that I know except once My brother is identical. I have because of men that were put in my life at a very early age have determined that I would not be that way. And yet there was times I really was with my son until I was put in a position to learn from guys my 
generational thing, I think. And it's up to us to be different. My son-in-law is a very tough, hard-working builder. He does show tenderness to his kids, but he also shows some. And my daughter one time called him out and said, Scott, these kids are not Marines. It is, gener it is generational, Gerald, but it goes back further than that. It goes all the way back to Adam. When I consider your question, I think Solomon addressed those two items because as I look back on my own life, majority of my regrets that I hold now was because I was being led by one of those two. Absolutely. And not being led by, by God's wisdom. I mean, it's, it's clear cut to me. As soon as you said that, I'm like, yep. I have an inventory of every bad decision that I that I still hold regret, and every one of them relates to one of those two things: listening to my buddies or chasing after women. There you go. That's that's very good, Goose. And I think if every one of you would would do a, a honest inventory, there is a connection between the two. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we tell people, you know, ask guys. As a leadership experience, what's, what's the most important decision you ever make? Well, of course, trust in Jesus, yeah. Beyond that, beyond your, what, what's the most important decision you ever make? Invariably, they go, who you marry? It's like, no, nope, there's one more important than that. Who are your friends? Because you're going to marry your friend. You're going to marry a friend. You're going to marry some enemy. But your friends... That, that neighborhood that cares for you, that, that, that's important. And then the, the whole strange woman deal, you know, as he said here, you don't return from that. Does that not mean you can be forgiven? Yes, you can be forgiven. You can be, you can be cleansed by God. But it, it does something to our soul to be connected sexually with someone who is not our covenant partner that does have a lasting effect. Forgiven, cleansed, yes. You were going to say something? Well, I think that both of those are distractions to his wisdom. Um, they take you uh, from receiving the word and treasuring those commandments in your heart, making attentiveness to wisdom and inclining you to understanding. So they're distractions from doing those things. Seeking out for wisdom as you would seek out for silver or look for it for him hidden treasure. Those are distractions. They're alluring yeah. away from this. It's almost like he's setting it up though and then saying, Look, I've collected all these things here, and there's two things I want to protect you from bad friends, bad women. And so no wonder the enemy in our culture has made has lessened the fear of both of those. It's like, hey, you don't need family. Do with your friends and, you know, have as many women as you can. Yeah. Sorry to speak again, but I had kind of a challenge to why. Just recently I was thinking about a struggle that I continue to fight to this day, an internal struggle. And I drew the line all the way back 
the lineage all the way back to try to figure out why I have this struggle. And I drew it all the way back to a, the elementary school friend that I hung out with. Mm. To this day, I'm still fighting that struggle of that seed planted by a peer when I was like in third grade. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. I mean, and I challenge you to, if you have a struggle, think about that and see if it's one of these two things that led yeah. you to where you are. You know, Billy, I, I, I certainly agree with you. I think it goes back, I think, really, in, in my response, you're right, it goes back to the garden uh, from a Jim can, we can name off the same people, and it was a pastor who taught that, that I never, until I came to Jim's Hill. But yes, I agree with you, it does go back to the garden, but I'm responding to this question I can see in my life, and I can draw it back to kids I hang out with. You, 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 boy, that is great, dude. Because I looked at the people I hung out with, and I had a choice. Yeah. I mean, it just wasn't a big thing as it is today. And then I looked at my grandson and my granddaughter and my kids teaching them. And I said, gosh, don't make mistakes I made. As my dad would say to me, as my granddaughter, I mean, yeah. different mistakes. Well, uh, I'll confess to you there's some ulterior motive in this subject here. Because, as you know, we've been talking about for a long time. We got a bunch of fatherless boys out there. Well, we got a bunch of men around here got time. One of your great, you're being you part of the whole generation. One of your greatest excuses is I, don't, I wouldn't know what to do with them. You just need to teach them two things. There are two enemies you've got to watch for. You got to watch for who your friends are. You got to watch for that strange woman and what's attracting you. And why is that there? Hey, guys, all of us have got enough experience in both of those that, that, that we, you know, we can help some kids. And, uh, and if somebody doesn't step in the gap to help them, uh, you know, where are they going to get it? They're, they're not going to get it out there in, the, in that neighborhood. And if they're going to live in a society that we're, that we're in now, they're certainly not going to be told that there's anything wrong with whatever sexual desire they have because that entitlement mentality is if I have a desire for it, it's the right desire. My desire determines what's right, whether it's for same sex, bisex, whatever. So, uh, yeah, we need to deal with it in our own lives, but uh, it's one thing to 
to be mad and aggravated and whatever with kids that are burning up cars and businesses and whatever. It's another thing to get involved. One at a time. Do you know a coach? Do you know any coach at any level of soccer, baseball, football, basketball, whatever? Go talk to that coach and say, you got any single, you got any boys in here that don't have dads? Uh, he'll load you. No, uh, my wife was a school teacher for a long time, and uh, she taught seventh grade math. And every time I tell people that, they're like, Ooh, you know, that kind of. But that age group is really cool, you know. Uh, uh, but there was always, always like every every year, they were just they couldn't find enough volunteers. So there's kids out there that are struggling in their grades, and you just go up there and hang out and have lunch with them. Know, just you know, make them you know, have some laughs with them and stuff like that. So it's really easy to do it um, in that regard. Any school around here, I guarantee you, would have opportunities. Uh, even South Lake Carroll, I'm sure, has those same. Okay, I don't want you to wait until next year, but I'm going to give all of you an opportunity to do this. Next May 15, 16, 17, we'll have Wild Man again. That Wild Man will consist of this men who care and want to get involved will commit to come themselves and pay for the scholarship of one boy. I'll bring the boys. I want you to be there. I want you, I'll pair you up with them. You'll be their father, coach, friend, whatever, for that weekend uh, as we do go through the activities and whatever. And at least you'll get introduced to what it means to relate to to these kids. So uh, I don't think it's that hard to find them, but evidently y'all do. So I'll find them. Well, and the mindset too that it's something that we have to offer them is not entirely true. There's a lot that you'll get out of it as well. Um, a lot, you know, like, that you just don't even think of. So if you go into the interaction with more of a mindset of, this is for both of us, you know what I mean? Not yeah. that you need to get anything out of it, but you will, you know, for sure. So. Yeah. There's an interesting distinction to, for us to think about going into this um, as far as, like, mentoring uh, young men, young boys. Um, it said reckless men and strange women. It didn't say reckless women, bad women, evil women, strange women. Could be a good woman. That, that we're distracted by that is estranged from us, not meant for us. Yeah. That, that we can be distracted by and, <coughs> and taint her to our detriment. Yeah. You know, um, so. Good point. So the word strange. The, the, the word strange there means she's not meant for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's a non-covenant woman is what it means. Strange woman meant. Somebody that, that you're not in covenant with. That doesn't necessarily mean a prostitute, but it could be. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
Absolutely. They don't have to be teenagers. Uh, that age group needs them to. I got another meeting, guys, so you all close out however you want to. Ooh, yeah, undress me there, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>